0: you
1: hello hello welcome to two crickets in the thorn tree i'm half of your host nicholas Lorimer, joined as ever by the other half of your hosts
0: gabriel grauza <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh if you you called some sort of phone line for like sort of uh over the phone therapy i feel like that would be the thing saying you are that would be the voice saying you are uh
0: number 68 in line <laughs> Like slightly torturous, also maybe comforting, but yeah. sort of bed of nails comforting, like you can lie down <laughs> on it.
1: <laughs> so we uh, we have a theme for today uh, that uh, we've just come up with, and that is people who should be fired, or at least should get in trouble, seem to be getting fired and getting in trouble. Uh, Amazing. Amazing. Which and and I don't know if I complained about it on the show or whether I just ranted yes. to one of yes. my colleagues or relatives no. about it, but I I, I, I did I did go on a while ago about how no one gets fired for the right reasons. You get fired for uh making a joke about a sexist joke or or, or, or saying something that gets construed as racist, but you don't get fired for you know accidentally killing people breaking something, tearing your organization apart, losing your company money, all those kind of reasons. Uh, and yet, this week, uh, there's been a couple of stories that have all just kind of come together where someone has getting, gotten in trouble for good reasons, and uh, something like just desserts have been delivered. Uh, so which one do we want to start with? We've got
0: some American ones and some falafel ones. I just wanted—I want to dwell on the fact that life is very tough. Uh at a personal level, at a public level. There's all kinds of ways that life is tough. <laughs> that,
1: <laughs> we're starting from a very broad scope here.
0: <laughs> I mean, I'll say, okay, so in the last two weeks, right? I mean, in the same period that we're going to be covering, GDP numbers came out and employment numbers came out. And I have been Debbie Downer. What's, what's up with Debbie? Can I be like Gabby, Gabby, Gabby Downer? I'm not dude, it's it's just it's design. just
1: alliteration. That's you know, so I don't know.
0: I've been Donald Downer. Daisy Downer. Mm. Damien Downer been, I've been declining Dionysus. Uh <laughs> I've been desolatory dolores. I've been <laughs> depressed little D. Anyway, I've been a downer on two things, right? So the one thing is GDP numbers in South Africa, they say up 1.9% quarter on quarter. So from the end of last year to the first three months of this year, a 1.9% improvement. Reported as higher than expected. In real terms, it's down 1.9%. The seasonal adjustment is is basically 4%. So the economy actually shrinks by 2%. They say it's grown by 2% because they've bumped it up through seasonal adjustment by 4%. Now, that is not totally out of whack. Before the pandemic, you would see 3%, 2.5% adjustments. They're adjusting it more this time uh, than 2018, 2017, 2016, 2019. I don't know that that's justified because usually the seasonal adjustment makes sense because Christmas time is a big bang and then the new year is like a bit of a hangover. I don't know how much that counts under lockdown madness and and travel restrictions and all kind of stuff, I don't know anyway, so a yeah. bit of a Debbie Downer, just pointing that out on the employment numbers. the NEET rate, not an employment education or training rate for fifteen to thirty four year olds is up by two percent uh climbing to forty six point three anyway so that's terrible by three percent two point seven percent nearly three percent so that's very bad anyway okay, so there have been bad things, and life gives you like b s burgers uh <laughs> And, yes. <laughs> but then sometimes there's a little just dessert afterwards and it's good to enjoy that. So I don't yes. know who, where's the, where's the right place to start? Maybe, I think Buses Iwe is so obvious. Yeah, let's start let's, let's make a second or so, third. Oh, okay. You want to start with her?
1: Yeah, let's start with her. So, okay. Uh, okay. She, 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 so uh, uh, we talked about last time about our, uh, our beloved president, Cyril has gotten into a bit of a spot of bother. Um, And it doesn't seem to have improved that much for him this past week, I don't think. And you can already see that a lot of his um, cheerleaders in the media are feeling a little bit anxious because they've set up this false dichotomy where if Cyril's not there, then the quote-unquote bad ANC will resume power. Uh, Justice Malala, I think, said this explicitly. And that will be a return to the days of Jacob Zuma, you know, when the economy grew Two and a half percent, but (laughs) anyway, um, the battles are
0: much better than these days,
1: (laughs) yes. So, uh, and of course, uh, uh, is where our public protector is. She is very obviously a member of the anti Cyril faction, not the RET faction, as you've made a lot of um. You spent a lot of time ex- uh, uh, pointing out, which My I think is, compares. yes. No, I agree, actually. I do I, I I do agree. I now just call them the Zuma faction because that's more accurate, I think, to, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so she's very obviously a, a, a sort of a, a foot soldier, a, a shock trooper for the Zuma faction. And so she jumped with total glee and eagerness upon <laughs> this case to investigate it to presumably Find against Sororo and uh, what was it, yesterday or the day before she got suspended by the president. Now that's probably the worst this is in terms of like a time to suspend the public protector she has had an incredibly awful track record she was obviously not going to be particularly fit for the job at the beginning because she was so obviously a sort of uh, partisan hack she then got tons of court judgments against her going through the courts through. have
0: banked like proverbially spanked her more than any public official I right say.
1: she she has wasted an enormous amount of taxpayers money um, getting beaten in court by everyone from i think Helen Zillow was one of them anyway she's just lost a thousand times in court none of that oh she's also facing impeachment of course <laughs> by parliament none of that none of that is enough apparently to move the needle until finally she decides to uh, uh, act against the president and then she's suspended within a few days. So... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she should have been suspended a long time ago, but at least she Okay, is so hold on.
0: Just a, just a small advertising break for the best newspaper that I don't pay for but read. <laughs> the New York Times. So, Soraya <laughs> Mopoza is actually taking questions from journalists. Right now, as we record, oh i 'm recording it on t v it's amazing our colleagues uh we have been discussing this internally for the last two weeks i mean it 's a constant truth, but we've some we've i think that uncle Sir is, Cyril has bugged our offices some of the time anyway it's great we 've got the best ideas uh, uh and it seems some of us getting through, so we've been complaining about how he hasn 't taken. single live question from a journalist outside of america when he was asked about the farm murders and he said well don't worry there are zero Um, yeah there are
1: there are none stop worrying about
0: that (laughs) (laughs) he hasn't like you can't remember seeing him take live questions because it hasn't really happened he's taken sort of he's done fireside meetings with people like godrenson anyway he's taking live questions i sat through a little bit of it hoping that someone would say what you've just said okay uh, everyone agrees that not everyone, but there is there is a widespread consensus that Busiswe and uh, suspension is justified. She's just appealed to court to reverse it. They've said no. Uh, the justifications are impeachment by parliament, um, uh, a series of court rulings against her. You have all the you have all the legal standing in the world to dismiss her. Why did you only do it after she brought a case? against you with strong prima facie evidence of either illegal or unethical behavior or both right. right so Bloomberg asked a question didn't ask that question New York Times asked a question New York Times asked three questions none of them were that question one of them was do you think your critics are overblowing uh, <laughs> the block theory What is it that the Americans call that? A, uh, a softball question. They call that a softball question. Why? Because in softball, you don't even throw the ball at the batter. You just put it stationary on a tee and hope. Softball is a game for four-year-olds. <laughs> and so are certain questions um, from the New York Times. They did ask a nice question, which was, okay, you say it's not illegal. We believe you. Uh, do you think it was wrong? Like, would you do it again the same way if you could do it again? I suppose that's them being tough. Anyway, the point is that, uh, yeah, Kobane, this is... I think this case, um, this is so harsh. And as much as, you know, I, uh, you, everyone must hate me because I sometimes say a nice thing about the evil people in the, the Russians, that's to say the Russians. Um, I do actually... I I I think the the worst I ever heard to Russians feelings uh was I once said that maybe it would have been better if Stalin had invaded if Hitler had invaded the USSR first and the and the UK and France and those other countries didn't have to get involved and the Nazis and the Soviet communists just sort of destroyed each other um because I think maybe that would have been better uh anyway he found that very offensive. I think this is a little bit like that. It's like two forces that are both not de- being their best selves that are kind right, of so
1: canceling each other out. From the world of uh, uh, Eva, evil Reaganite neocon inven- interventionists, the common version of that story is the this is the Iran Iraq War. You want both sides to lose.
0: Yes. There we go. So, and I mean, I I guess at this stage, I do want or am opposed to win if he. If he takes up our policy ideas, um, and we're still trying to hammer away. Well, when he does he that,
1: him up. I'll, I'll be very happy. But uh, I don't think that day is any day soon. <laughs>
0: no. Okay. So, but so the Umkubani one. I mean, I think that I don't really know what else there is to say about it, other than the real question is who does she get replaced by? Is it someone with teeth? Part of what's interesting there is a, an important detail on the on the Gupta arrests. I was reminded of. We mentioned this in this show, I think. Uh, Hermione Hermione Giliomir, is that how you say her name? She's like Hermann Giliomir, but the the girl version of the name, who was the former director of the independent directorate, or the former head of the independent directorate, who was basically uh, stepped down at the end of last, announced her resignation at the end of last year and then actually stepped down at the beginning of this year. Um, the independent directorate is sort of the the last vestige of the scorpions. You know, there were the scorpions and there were the hawks, and the hawks are kind of the ID. Um, although the functions were split after Glenister too. Anyway, the point is that it's, you know, a special branch of investigations into, uh, let's say, high crimes and misdemeanors, things that might be politically or, or state very threatening. And her complaints, I mean, I thought her resignation was one of the most damning things in the last season against Ramaphosa's administration because she was basically throwing shade at Shamila Batoy very subtly and very professionally saying that uh she's resigning because the resources she needs to do her job are not there and uh, the efforts that she's made to get them failed and so it's time to go away or maybe she officially said that um right, and she's you know, resigning for you know, personal reasons but she she allowed like leaks to happen to say, you know, she's she's irritated because she feels she's being stonewalled effectively. She's not getting what she needs to drive things through. And the very last thing that she did was get the red notice on the Gupta's. (laughs)
1: Literally
0: the day she quit, she just she managed (laughs) to get that through. So this is so to me she she reminds me in that sense a little bit of Ahmed Kathrada who Really, in my opinion, if you, if you want to draw the watershed, what is the moment that Jacob Zuma's career ended in a, mm. or, or changed direction? It was Ahmed Kathrata's funeral when a whole bunch of anti guys, including Mbeki and Trevor Manuel, etc., uh, went to go mourn there and make speeches. And they read out Kathrata's letter. And from beyond the grave, Kathrata said, Jacob Zuma, bugger off. Uh, you've, you're you're robbing this country, and it's not very nice. Yeah. It's a counter-revolutionary reactionary, and, so and this is like another beyond the grave. Like the Guptas are getting arrested now on a warrant that we issued with someone who's been removed. So, so, and I'm saying that because I, b- b- why am I skeptical about Ramaposa? Well, there's a reason. Like I think if Ramaposa was the re- like, never mind the ideology stuff. Obviously, I'm against Bee. He's for Bee forever, etc. Uh, so we're going to disagree about that. But on a corruption, we all agree you've got to go after it. Surely to goodness, if Ramaphosa was the real reformer that he was, he hears those complaints coming up from the independent directorate's office, and he makes the move. And he says, dude, you've got to get these people what they want. Um, if they need more resources, give them more resources. If there's someone getting in the way of that, get rid of that person. Uh, and when she makes a bit of a complaint, right. you know, he phones and says, take back your resignation. This is This is a criticism I've heard many times, that a lot of the –
1: People, senior people in the ANC who are implicated in some sort of wrongdoing. They have cases for which there is evidence that's already pretty well known. There doesn't have to be an enormous amount of investigation to take the cases to court. There's Zero
0: investigation. Closed. The Zonda right. Commission is like, it's literally all but already even, on record.
1: Even before the Zonda Commission, I think like against uh, Ace Makashule in particular, there was a whole bunch of stuff. But none of that has ever moved on. If a corruption case is moved on, it's always moved on something that's much more recent and there's like a it's it's the kind of thing that is going to be stuck in the courts for the next four or five years there's no there are uh, the, the, what i've been told by sort of legal eagle type people is that there is an enormous amount of stuff you could be doing that's just not been done quite frankly and uh i think you Dude, know, i've been you told say, the same
0: by people who I went to cocktail soirees and dinner parties with fancy pants, legal eagles. And I would say in 2018, 2019, what's going, why haven't there been any prosecutions? Shamila batoy is letting me down. And they'd say, no, 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 no. It's still too soon. Now it's 2022. And they're saying, this is outrageous.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the eagerness is certainly not there. Um,
0: Okay, so the question is, Nicholas, shall we both send letters to the president to ask if he will make us public protector? I think it's not worth it because you have to be you have to have like a law degree. You know, I sent Uh, him a letter saying, can I be in the in the BEE Advisory Council?
1: Look, I feel I feel like you could probably put it off, but I don't know. You know, you know, my feelings about like law in general. So I'm not sure if I'd be the greatest person to be the public protector.
0: Uh. Fire them into the sun. (laughs) <laughs> Dude, how oh, great would that be to have as a public protector you go to the public like, protector like i need protection and you're like okay who's the bad guy fire them into the sun i think that.
1: Would...
0: you do it once you'd fire one person into the sun but it would send a message <laughs>
1: <laughs> well yeah no i look I, I i feel that i would but if if uh you know Ace Markishule is not, if there's enough political will to put Ace Markashula behind bars, then I don't think that there's enough political will to um, give me the power to do what needed to be done,
0: <laughs> so to speak. Then there's not enough political will to blow a blade of grass two centimeters, two centimeters across a tabletop. There's like.
1: Yes. We, we first need to make sure that the entire National Executive Committee of the ANC is agreed before we touch the blade of grass. And, uh, we need to, we, we need also, to also need to
0: ask the great of blast. The, yeah. Oh my word. I'm the great of grass. The... grass. <laughs> <laughs> Friday afternoon. Way back. Okay. So, 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 so this is, I mean, I, I really do think that this is going to be an interesting test. Um, mm. if, if, if Ramaposa, who would be the best? If he was really good. Buff.
1: Oh yeah, well <laughs>
0: no, of course, but,
1: but she's so far outside the the, the realm of it's possibility. Inside. But yes, if,
0: I if I, do. I if I was president and I wanted to save this country and I was an ANC guy, I'm a childhood lover of the ANC. It's easy for me to imagine still loving the ANC if I was inside. I I know a couple of people that are still inside that I respect because they think you know if you want to change the thing. You guys talk about a coalition party taking over. It's never going to happen. Someone's got that. If you disagree about that fact, if you think the South African public is so married to the ANC that it's never going to vote it out, then you've got to try and change it from inside. Okay, so so a really good person, maybe slightly lazy, whatever, um, good person, I'm talking about myself, not the president, um, (laughs) is in charge of things, and he wants to establish a public protector who, through the Chapter 9- through the dictates of chapter nine of the constitution, which lay out the powers of the public protector and other bodies like the human rights commission, the public protector really is given some leeway to make real change. And yet it's short. It's, it's not the same as the public prosecutor. I think it's the perfect place to put someone who has, I mean, it's a position that begs for a name, and if you put an independent, if you put someone who's independent of the party, that has the most, um, you know, after the Zonda Commission, you really can say, look, here are the people in, implicated prima facie by the Commission. They almost all are in the ANC. Uh, those that aren't are in the EFF. We are going to ask this person. We'll ask her to give up her DA party membership and we'll ask her, and on condition, I'm pretty sure the public but, prosecutor can't. She wouldn't be able to be a DA member. She wouldn't be able to make stump speeches for them. It'd be a sacrifice for her. It'd be a sacrifice for the DA. But it'd be so like there was, in There the was English-
1: actually a time um, when uh, I, I believe the, that when Ramaphosa first came to office and was appointing, before he appointed Shamila J- Batoi, I think there were actually rumors that Glendis Breitenbach might be selected as a... Yep. Uh, and that was, <laughs> that was when everyone had a... Uh, even us, had a much more positive view of Romopoza as possibly someone who might push back on some of the worst things that had happened during the... the Zim- okay, years. so who would be
0: who would be the most hilarious? I think the most hilarious would be Dalian Porfu. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, he wouldn't be the most hilarious, but he'd be in the top three for sure.
0: <laughs> okay, who... who? Dude, it has to be someone of the law degree, hey?
1: Yeah, I don't know then. Yeah, maybe maybe Dalian Porfu then.
0: I mean, I there, I'm, I'm sure that there are lots of like, um, no, IPs and so on. I, I just, there is
1: almost certainly a a ANC-aligned lawyer who works for a provincial department somewhere who is a very loyal cater of the revolution and also doesn't really believe that the law should get in the way of a good bit of uh, public prosecution. Uh,
0: <laughs> who I'm sure they could find <laughs> to be okay. the public protector. <laughs> okay, so this is kind of a good case, but probably a bummer if you don't get a good public prosecutor. Um, right. And for a good example, outside of the obvious corruption of why a public prosecutor would be great, you know, I've been trying for quite a while to see if I could raise public some money protector take... or public prosecutor. Sorry, public protector, thanks. Thank I mean, I, I would love to take a case um, against the government. On on the basis that the command council or the department, the Kochta department, broke the law during the lockdown, which continues. How did they break the law? Well, the law says if you subvert people's liberties in a serious way during a state of disaster, then you have to monitor how that works, whether it's working, what detrimental effects that's having, what positive effects that's having. You have to monitor it, and you have to monitor it for each thing that you do. Right. So you can't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're
1: violating liberty, the onus is on you to keep proving it. You can't just sort of half. And this it. is,
0: look, look. This is a common law principle, um, mm. and I think it's very easy to find that. You, I don't think you have to get too inventive to find that in Section 36 of the Constitution, but it's also just straightforwardly in black and white English, in the uh, disaster management act yeah where it says in section 127 or something for every intervention there must be continuous monitoring and and reporting back from time to time government hasn't done that now I now the, my problem is I can't find two million rand to take these guys to court to do that and I'm still going to go try it and so on and so on. uh but uh, guess what with that's what the public protector is for I should be able to go to a public protector and say Let's do this, and they'll be serious, and they'll go and do it.
1: I'm a member of the public, and I'm being abused. Please protect me.
0: Yeah. Millions and millions and millions of South Africans have been abused for the last two years. The government needs to learn a lesson from this. It'll be so good for everyone. Let's do it. No, it's not going to happen. And and the test is, whoever Ramaphosa points next, could you imagine that person taking that case seriously and Mm. using it to... You know, if the facts lead to the conclusion that not only Damini Zuma, but also someone in the RET camp, the Ramaposa transformation camp, needs to be punished, would they both get punished? That's the test. Okay, so it's so it's a, it's a good reason, firing, but it's a very mixed bag of a firing. I, yeah, both. The, for the Nick, reason, but we can't dwell forever because we need we need no, no, sure, favor sure. of just desserts.
1: No, no, we will move on to the less consequential ones. Um, But uh, the reason I chuckled so much when you said Linus Breitenbach was because I think, for me, the reason we're not going to get a great public protector is because even Tuli Madonsela, who is still very much in the ANC sort of ideological universe and worldview, and I think was a, a, a loyal ANC member, she still, just by at least sort of talking about the sheer facts of the matter... You know, on Nkandla and on some of these other issues, uh, did such damage to the political fortunes of the ANC, particularly Zuma, that they will never, ever make the mistake ever again of not having a completely 100% dedicated to the movement uh, cater in that position.
0: It does kind of make you think, gosh, couldn't our constitution have? not had the public protector be decided by
1: the president? The president. <laughs> Parliament? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's... I, I'm not a huge fan of the Chapter 9 institutions in... Uh,
0: I think that they probably could be set up in a better way, but... Oh, did you yeah. remember... Can you imagine if you could vote for the president of the public protector? Like, we can't vote for anything directly in this country. If you could just mm. vote for... That would have been a nice... You know, people, the The classic split is between the symbolic head. Anyway, it, it might also be a terrible idea, but, uh, you know, you've got the executive head and the symbolic head. And usually you can vote for one of those directly if you do have two. In South Africa, you can't yes. vote for anything directly. Um, but if you've been able to, if there was like a public protector role that you could vote for directly. Hmm. But then I said, maybe it'd be a problem because you could have just a spoiler. Who had launched relentless false investigations into an administration and kneecap their ability to get anything done i don't know i do remember when we visited the concord th- last friday two three weeks ago whatever it was we saw the gender equality commission chapter nine institution yes. wow when you see it then you really can hear the deafening silence of its of its impact and work <laughs> Like you have to see it to believe that it exists, and you have to actually believe that it exists to hear how little it does. It's amazing. <laughs> and that really is. I mean, I want to say, I did this SABC One show yesterday, um, which was quite jolly. And like just chatting before and after, I was reminded of a stunning result from our surveys. 2020. 2021 we see a huge spike you know we always do these surveys with the first question you ask is what's the biggest problem in the country and it's always unemployment first and then it's like crime and drugs and corruption and uh all the all the all the things you'd really think it is unless you watch the tv and then you'd think it's like uh racism and feminism and all kinds of things but during the pandemic during the lockdown um domestic violence Surged, Jeez, out of, like, kind it of no Went way. to like third or second. From like from like two percent of people thought it was the biggest deal to like second after unemployment.
1: Yeah, sort of like thirty percent of the population basically saying that this is the biggest issue.
0: And if you just hang out with people who know what it, I mean, people stuck at home, frustrated, booze, beatings, depression. Anyway,
1: from the collapsing economy,
0: all that sort of stuff. Yeah, uh, I can't. I can't. I can't think of any reason to give flowers to the uh, old um, gender equality to that Chapter Nine institution, which which should be making that their issue in terms of actually doing anything. For example, challenging the government and saying, "Can you justify this uh, these policies that seem to be having this effect?" Can we maybe tone it down? Anything, anything like just asking for an investigation or saying, "We can see that it's it's having this effect. We need to establish some concrete." way of dealing with it. Hmm. Of course, it is a very difficult thing to deal with. Okay, so um, Nick, can't we talk about one of the nice ones? This is yeah, a good one, but it's a complicated
1: Pick, one. Pick, pick, pick another one.
0: Um, I called her Selena Gomez by mistake, which was terrible, <laughs> terrible, terrible. Felicia, mostly,
1: Felicia mostly Somnia. Because, yes, mostly because Selena Gomez is a former Disney star who's become a Big pop idol, <laughs> which Felicia Somne very certainly isn't. So uh, I don't know. Let me. Let I me should just explain. Back.
0: It's 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 a little bit because their names rhyme. It's also because I when I go to quiz, there's always a question about pop culture. Yeah, and my answer is always Justin Bieber. And then sometimes they're like, "Dude, it's definitely not Justin Bieber." And I'm like, "How do you know who is it then?" And they're like, "I don't know, but it's clearly a woman." And then I say, "Okay, Selena Gomez." Those are the only (laughs) two. (laughs) It's
1: your go-to celebrity, (laughs) yeah. Just shooting in the dark. I think she's kind of out of date, though. I don't keep up with pop music particularly, so.
0: What about uh, Justin Bieber? I don't know if he's in date or out of date. I I don't. I don't even know either. Anyway,
1: um, there we go. So Selena. So if you if you don't know the answer, it's
0: Selena Gomez. But this is Felicia (laughs) Summers.
1: Yeah. So, so this is one of those things that's like such a kind of modern journalism story. Um, and 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 a, as with most modern journalism stories these days, the centerpiece is sort of Twitter. So what happens? Uh, there's a guy who works for the Washington Post called David Wingo. Uh, what was his surname again? I think it's Weigel. Something like yeah. that. Anyway, he is a senior reporter. He reports on primaries um and and you know the, basically the election's going on around, right now so he's pretty busy dude um for them he's in the field right now looking at a lot of these primaries that are taking place across the country where the different parties are choosing their candidates for the midterms
0: including one where someone got fired but we'll get to that later
1: Yes. Uh, Felicia Somners is, is, I think she's a senior correspondent also for the Washington Post, who I think is the White House senior correspondent. Uh, I'll just check that now. But anyway, she she's also got a bit of a checkered history with the Washington Post, which is I think recently she tried to sue them for some sort of discrimination and she lost the case in court. Um, however, she still worked there. Uh, she was cruising her Twitter timeline, and she noticed that David, her colleague, had retweeted something, and that what he would retweeted was the following joke: "All women are bi. You just have to work out whether it's bi, uh, bipolar, or bisexual." So she took a screenshot of this retweet. Oh, lordy, lordy, lordy! And said, "So great to work at a place." that has uh, that a lot where retweets like this are allowed <laughs> and thus began the twitter drama immediately okay, so just want to drama. Say, at this yeah, yeah. stage
0: it seems like high school yes it seems like not my favorite joke but i could definitely see myself laughing at that joke in a comedy club or around a fire told by it's someone just, t- well
1: it's just kind of yeah. It's just kind of a bit sort of out of context it's just, it's on Twitter. Lame. It seemed, it's, it's a like, bit it's lame.
0: Like, yeah, it's
1: it's it's you know it's like one of those very old boring sexist jokes. You know the sexist jokes are always about men that they're stupid and about women that they're crazy. This is like so sort of common in humor. I think that yeah. basically I, no one takes it even vaguely seriously.
0: <laughs> right. Right. I don't. And but 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 so what I'm trying to say also those that hurt. Her comeback seems pretty. I mean, the word "allowed" is worrying. It's like there's a little bit, but there's also part of me that feels like Slavoj Zizek. I I, I remember sitting in um, <laughs> Slavoj just That Slovenian in here. <laughs> 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 no conversation is complete without <laughs> without a little Zizek mention. So I remember. Um, Uh, at Princeton University, uh, Slavoj Zizek came to make his first sort of well-respected lecture series um, to launch his uh, rock star uh, flame for a moment. And there was Peter Singer, uh, Princeton's rock star philosopher, famous for sort of saying it's okay to kill babies. Um, Very good argument. I totally defend his, like, you better not tell me that's a bad professor. He's a good professor. Um, And uh, Peter Singer, oh, <laughs> he's Australian. So the Australian guy asked some question. And he's like, "All right, Slavoj, so what do you think about this and that?" I'm a utilitarian. Sounds a little bit like you don't like happiness and all that. And Slavoj is like, "Oh, Peter Singer. Oh, when when the communist revolution takes over, we will make sure all intellectuals like you, degenerates, degenerates, go straight to gulag." <laughs> But listen, Peter, listen very carefully. On Sunday, you get the soup with the one matzo ball. Okay. But you, you're a good guy, you get two balls. <laughs> so, <laughs> so part of me feels like, you know, maybe she's kind of it's maybe there's a tongue-in-cheek sense to her saying it shouldn't be allowed, or you know, yeah. like a like a snarky, like also, something that I'm not laughing at, but that I could right. imagine it's, someone it's, doing it's in a funny kind of way. Like...
1: St- stupid Twitter drama, right? Yeah, um, exactly. I think, I think the things that make it slightly different, though, in this case is firstly, initially, that they're both colleagues who work at the same institution. And Felicia Somnes would later go on to say that she considers David a friend. Um, she didn't say that initially, but she did say that later. Anyway, a whole bunch of Twitter drama breaks out. Yep. And as Twitter dramas want to do uh, this, A horde of people all jumping on David saying, you are a sexist monster. He very quickly apologizes. He says, actually, this is probably not very tasteful of me. I should have done this. And he deletes the tweet. I mean, wait, he deletes the retweet because it wasn't actually his joke.
0: So their issue is that he was sexist. I thought the issue with that joke is that you're denying that bisexuals could ever be crazy. I think there were. <laughs> I think there like, were. As that, isn't many... that offensive? What about the bi? What about people who are bisexual and bipolar? <laughs> I <What's>... think there <laughs> were as as many criticisms as people. <laughs> okay, um, well, I just want to. I want to flag that one because it's
1: logical. Right. right. <laughs> uh, anyway, so so he said, "Yeah, no, guys, I think this was a bit of a mistake. I shouldn't have done this. Uh, I kind of, I messed up." And he. So it wasn't even his joke, right? It was a retweet, which is just you know you post something again that someone else says um so he he didn't delete the tweet he unretweeted it <laughs> but uh oh boy this this did not appear to be enough um felicia kind of kept pushing on it on twitter all very publicly saying you know this is about uh, and of course people then began attacking her calling her Willis harpy and a stupid woman and things like that like a mixture of uh what i would say is sort of deserve criticism and also just sort of sexist bile and you know this is what happens some really media. nasty stuff yeah right. there's just always what happens and she starts posting uh, screenshots of all the nasty tweets being sent to her and said this is what I'm dealing with I'm being harassed people are whipping up mobs against me the whole thing continues to build to a crescendo with people at the Washington Post taking sides some of them siding with Felicia Somnes and some of them siding with David um, uh, one senior journalist, I can't remember his name, um, but uh, he he tweets about how Felicia is attacking her colleagues and is creating a uninclusive workplace and is being toxic. Uh, they then start sending internal emails to each other, complaining about sexism being allowed and the toxic work environment. And because everyone is fighting with each other on Twitter, they're all posting screenshots of the emails that the other side is sending onto Twitter. So basically the internal squabble Mm -hmm. in this this senior newspaper, like one of the most famous newspapers in the world, is being splashed all over Twitter. Anyway, so uh, you kind of expect the story to end there because that's often where these stories sort of end in the public eye. But the Washington Post decides that it's going to act And it acts by suspending David for a month without pay during primary season when he's, like, doing some of his most important reporting (laughs) uh, to punish him for his sexist tweet. Mm -hmm. And if the story ended there, if we could have told a story about how, you know, sort of institutions are being held captive by sort of uh, what have been called cry bullies, people who are you know, using social media as a tool to sort of enact their will upon opponents. Um, I mentioned in the beginning that Felicia Somnes has had battles with the Washington Post, her employer, a few times. I think she tried to see them in court, like I said. So there's clearly, like, another whole layer to this, which has got nothing to do with the tweet and the sexism. It's also to do with, uh, you know, workplace drama and grudges. Uh, But today she got, um, or yesterday, rather, uh, it came out that the Washington Post is also firing her, and I'll read the email she got that fired her. This is to inform you that the Post is terminating your employment effective immediately for misconduct that includes insubordination, maligning your coworkers online, violating the Post standards and workplace collegi- on workplace collegiality and inclusivity. As Sally's Tuesday message reminded everyone, the Post expects all employees to adhere to its standards, requiring employees to treat each other respectfully, inclusively, and professionally. Your continued conduct in disparaging your colleagues online disregarded the direction of the newsroom leadership and violated the Post standards. Your public attempts to question the motives of your co-journalists based on their expressions of views different from yours also undermines the Post's reputation for journalistic integrity and fairness. The same is true of your baseless derision uh, directed at our policies and practices and of our commitment to a safe and supportive work environment. We cannot allow you to continue to Work as a journalist representing the Washington Post. You will receive a separate letter from the benefits department concerning your eligible eligi- eligibility for any other post benefits upon
0: termination. That's a pretty brutal letter, <laughs> but I mean, it does seem to identify what what struck me as the salient point with her approach, yeah.
1: Which is that if you have a problem with something your colleague has said publicly, you should presumably at first attempt to, you know. Either talk to their boss or talk to them directly and say this is not okay, and here's why I think it's not okay. Um, now she was she was attacked by this on, online, and she said, "No, no, I'm doing this because I needed to show the world that journalists at the Washington Post aren't willing to stand for sexism, and that he doesn't represent our institutional values."
0: So I think that, firstly, let's split things into buckets. <clears throat> I think that it's totally fair game to publicly go after a colleague intellectually if your business is intellectualism, right? So two to, – and the Washington Post has this, the New York Times has this, all really good, even within uh, a think tank like the Hoover Institute, which I think covers a pretty narrow spectrum in a way of of, of the ideological – a narrow part of the ideological spectrum. You'll have colleagues who disagree with each other and they'll disagree with each other publicly. You know, one guy will say to another guy, you think um, this policy is going to work. I think that's bananas. Uh, and here's why I think you're wrong and you're crazy. And you can, and people can be quite tough with each other and they can embarrass each other because if your whole job is to analyze policy or some particular section of it, whether it's, you know, economic stuff or whatever it is, that's just how it works. You 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 attach a lot of meaning and status and stakes to it, and so if someone else disagrees with you, even if it's about a technicality, um, that can feel very wounding. But it's you, you deal with it. I mean, that's the job, and uh, and and that's part of what makes academia both exciting and difficult and sometimes terribly boring. If you read academic journals, you know, um, I think most people don't. But if you read them. And you get through the jargon, and this and this is actually true of science um, sometimes, uh, although often not enough. It's certainly true in the humanities. There's a lot of, of unoriginal just nitpicking, just sort of a hint. <laughs> yes. And, and, and some of the I, best scientific I, articles are like, we, we need to do more of that. You need to do the I, same I know, experiment yeah. twice and just show that the other person like didn't put the vial in the right corner of the table. Yeah. Uh, some
1: stories I've read from people in academia uh, say that there were certain professors, particularly those kind of older ones who were very secure in their career, absolutely loved going to new sort of academics uh, presentations or their PhD thesis being presented, something like that, and yeah. just doing their absolute best oh. to tear it apart and humiliate oh. the person in a very vindictive and unpleasant way. Uh, which is not great, but at least you know you oh, can dude, make
0: so important, dude. I was listening this week, <laughs> for example. I gave myself an hour and a bit to listen to this this uh, thing. The Hoover The Hoover Institute does these things where they'll have uh, PhD students and some t- and recent PhDs present papers to a working group of like a couple of professors and a couple of other PhD students. And so these guys are presenting a paper on these like young professors are presenting to two old professors and a group of PhDs. A paper about quite an interesting idea, which is trying to measure how quickly something like uh, inflation propagates through a supply chain or supply chain disruption propagates increased costs through a supply chain. So, you know, here in China, you have the factory shutdown that's shipping off this kind of thing, which is a component for a cell phone. How long does it take to get to the point where the cell phone's price actually increases because there's like seven different buy, sell, add value, or move around whatever logistics as add value or actually manufacturing add value units in between. And you try and do these statistical analyses in order to figure out as it were, like you drop the, the pebble in the pond, how quickly do the ripples spread across it? Okay. They didn't put it quite as nicely as that, but this is the thing that they're trying to do and they're much better at the numbers by halfway through they, they they've given up on the presentation because the two old professors have just undercut in quite serious and technical ways every assumption that they've made and 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 the two presenters have gotten to the point where they're each asking the other one and like for the after the fourth one in a row where they're like you know, we don't actually know how to account for that. And you and you get the sense, okay, what we're dealing with is a model detached from reality with assumptions that haven't really been well established. So they've just been they've just been devastated. And I don't know how genuinely devastating economics. they are. Yeah, and so maybe they deserve it, and, and and maybe it's just tough. But then the two old professors start going at each other, they're like, Let's leave these guys to the side for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, and these two wonderful colleagues yes they just say the most devastating they lay down like one guy says you've been making the same mistake since 1973 i remember your paper. <laughs> and i love it and and the things all and it's like it's so really it really is about the ideas and it's and, and there's passion and stuff there and they're invested in it but it's about the ideas okay so there's there's like one buckets which is fighting with your colleagues about ideas in public. I think that's often great, right? There's There there are ways that you can get it wrong, but that's often great. Then there's this other thing of, of it's not about the work. It's about your own personal conduct. And that is clearly an HR re- issue, mm. right? So I, I, and- I had a colleague who I, I was walking around without shoes in the office, and he didn't like that when we used to have an office. And so he came to me and he said, dude, please don't do that. He didn't put it as politely as that, but he got the message across. And I made sure that I was always at least wearing socks. If he had put that on Twitter, (laughs) uh, and that I had a person, if he had put that on Twitter, that would have been wrong, which is the point I'm trying to make. I'm just trying to refine your idea that you should go to the person or to the manager. That is totally true for their person. And
1: and, and I I think it's kind of a little bit... Part of what's being lost, I think, and I can't unless you go and read through all of the tweets, it's kind of difficult to get a sense of how nasty and personal a lot of this was uh you know you had colleagues exactly. basically calling each other sexists and racists and psychopaths and that it it was very. <laughs> yeah that that the, the it was cloaked in a sort of it was at least i think making a, a pretense at being about some sort of principle but in reality it was so clear that there were just some people in this organization who absolutely despised each other um and were making it very well known publicly uh and of course because they cloaked it in the language and and sort of uh makeup of of a sort of intellectual principle point that's that's what made it even more yeah. toxic than other people. No, okay, been. but hold on.
0: I so so I could say freedom of expression entitles me to walk around without shoes if I like it. And if you've got an issue with someone not wearing their shoes in the office, um that's because you've got a Western colonial cultural <laughs> um imprint about what acceptable business attire is. And you need to broaden your horizons and get down with Africa. Uh, in Africa, we have chiefs, we have kings, we have mighty men with no shoes who conduct business meetings um, in the heartland. And uh, and I'm just bringing that to the office. And you know, how can we hold ourselves to a higher standard than the king? I could make that argument, right? You can always defend your behaviour by saying, "Here's a principle according to which my behaviour is acceptable." My point is yeah it's personal conduct you, if 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 your issue is with what someone thinks with with some clearly abstract some policy issue some empirical issue some outside of the self issue then it's open game but if it's about what they have done then you maybe you need to get to the point where you blow the whistle in public, but surely the right thing to do is just to start in person. Well, say, think, you're I being th- an idiot. Don't. I think, in, I think there is a yeah, I think there the is time to, to,
1: to to blow the whistle in public. And that's, if you raise an issue that you think has very genuinely an issue with your colleagues or with their management or whatever, and they stonewall you, they blow you off. They don't take you seriously. They just tell you to go away and you're an idiot. Yeah, exactly. Uh, then it's like, okay, you know, I'm being ignored now. Maybe it's time to take this public. That was very clearly not what happened here.
0: Yeah. I mean, she clearly doesn't believe in the Washington Post. And I've got to say, the Washington Post, a friend of mine, where I first saw the story, old Princeton buddy, who writes books and stuff, I saw him uh, on Facebook a few days ago post a piece saying, oh, the Washington Post, this old rag, seems to finally have gotten something right. Uh, and he posted an op-ed about the firing of Joshua Katz, which we Professor Katz at Princeton, which we covered uh, a couple of episodes ago,
1: where yeah. he was. You recommended some of his articles, some articles about him.
0: Mm, he was really unjustly fired. He'd already gone through a disciplinary process. He'd already been punished, and then the matter was resurrected. It, it, it was not a good case. And this Washington Post article was very gentle and slightly milquetoast, but it but it 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 said. Firing this guy was wrong. And I thought, sure, it's a little bit unfair to call the Washington Post a rag. I mean, it has, it is, (laughs) it is the greatest newspaper in American history. And it has a lot of, I really do. (laughs) I I love the post. Um, Anyway, so, so I thought it is, I thought it is interesting that that sort of followed this. uh, Yeah, reasons to be excited about going in the right direction there. Okay, so. Maybe on the other side of the political spectrum, shall we say, uh, David Perdue was basically fired by the people.
1: Yes, so he runs in the Senate campaign in 2020 um, at the same time that Trump and Biden are going up against each other. Man, it's already 2022. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> time flies, uh, and they uh, he got defeated in that Senate election, um, it there does seem to be at least some evidence from, from polling and stuff they've done that the reason he was defeated was because so, so there was two stages to that Georgia election for the Senate. Uh, there was the first round, where if you don't get 50% of the vote, then the two top candidates go up against each other. Uh, and he, I think, won his race in that case. Um, but then there was a second round. And in that second round, between the election and that second round, Trump was going very hard on the uh, election has been stolen stuff, which we've talked about on the show has not really been the big steal. Yes. The big steel. Uh, but it's not true.
0: Yeah. yeah. Anyway.
1: So, yeah, we talked about that before, but let's not get lost the weeds too much there. So anyway, he runs for Senate there and partly because Trump is saying, you know, you need to back me on this steel thing or else you're a traitor to the Republican party. Um, he also just kind of generally demotivates a whole bunch of people who then don't go out and vote. I think polls hmm. found something that like ten percent, twenty percent of the Republicans who voted for Purdue in the national election then didn't vote for him in uh, they they stayed in at the home runoff. rather than vote in the runoff, and so he lost. And that's you know the Democratic so Trump- The,
0: the <laughs> point is that the Republican Party would have won Georgia in the Senate, and then and then kept the, the Senate. R- Right, but they lose the, the Senate because of directly because of Trump's mad. Uh, they stole the yeah. whole election thing. Okay, so uh, fast forward uh, two years, and there's a race yeah, think,
1: for... Well, there's there's one more thing here, which is that George Kemp, who's the governor of, of Georgia, comes under a lot of pressure from Trump and also from Trump's sort of um, supporters, who the, he's the, the, a traitor. The, the, yeah, they say democracy. He's not, yeah, he's collaborating with the Democrats to steal the election. He shouldn't certify the results of the election as governor. He should basically uh, tell the Georgia electors to vote in favor of of Donald Trump. It's never happened
0: before, but that's because every other election was great. This election was not great. So this time, you just need to ignore the votes, tell them the result is that I won. It's going to be great. That'll make it great. (laughs) So... (laughs)
1: he uh, uh so so he comes to blows with the republican governor george george kemp george kemp and and also his secretary of state who is called george stephanopoulos i think I don't know if George is his first name, but I think Stephanopoulos might be his first name. Dude, there's anyway. a
0: Stephanopoulos, there's a Gabriel Steele, there's like, there's, Steele, <laughs> Steele's not a great name for <laughs> cases involving. Or was it Gabriel Silva? Anyway, there's a Gabriel in there yeah, who I quite like, was like an election <laughs> official who, And anyway, there were a lot of good Georgians who were like, you know, no, maybe we wish you won, Someone else. but you didn't win and just, just grow up. Okay, sometimes you lose. Right. So, so, so Trump is
1: very annoyed with George Kemp and he runs very aggressively against him. Uh, He encourages Republicans to go out to, because they have, of course, primaries in the US where they, where each party chooses their candidates. He encourages Republicans extremely strongly to uh, go, go against George Kemp. And (laughs) he decides to back David Perdue, who was destined for the Senate, but is now caught without a job. And suddenly is like, well, if I can't be Senator, Maybe I should try my hand at being governor.
0: I like the name governor. governor <laughs> so
1: David Perdue goes from having his campaign sort of, you know, undercut by Trump to being Trump's
0: foremost champion um, in Georgia. And uh, this is Dude, how, just just pause there. Okay. I didn't want to go through the whole thing, but I'm glad you have, because just take a breath. This guy would have won. Trump's madness freaked voters out enough that he didn't win. And then he's like, I know how I'm going to win. <laughs> I'm just going to ride the wave of Trump's madness. Have you ever
1: seen, um, there's a meme online, uh, which shows some event in history like Italy in World War II. Mm. And then they 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 open up the menu in a video game and they click the change team button. <laughs> <Very much.
0: laughs> but it's like it's not it's so imprudent like, sorry you're the guy, pointing, yeah
1: yeah the, the guy was trying to talk about the georgia secretary of state i confused him completely with someone else his name is brad rafson rafson burger
0: rafson burger yes. yes that's the right yeah. it was rafson and the other one was called gabriel or something anyway
1: yeah uh so so anyway and and this right. this is talked about in the primary in the run-up to the primary they have debates and things Because, of course, America has political debates, which isn't that nice? Wouldn't it be great if we had those?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I I imagine the debates go something like this Purdue, you would have won, but then you said the whole election was stolen. And then people were like, it's not stolen. That's dumb. You're dumb. And now the whole, that Dorito, the triangular orange Dorito who said the whole, the dumb thing, now he's your best friend. So is this is this a case of dumb and then dumber? Are well, you, you see, dumb and dumber, Purdue? Are you both dumb and dumber?
1: It it really didn't go like that though, because George Kemp really did not want to isolate um, Kemp. Really yeah. did not want to isolate uh, the Trump voters. So he Trump he he Trump, he, yeah. he basically just took the line of. Look, this is, 2020's, this is 2020's issue. Let's not talk about it. This is silly. I did exactly what I needed to do as
0: governor. I would do it again. I want to tell you about yeah. what we're going to do going forward. Yeah. Right. That's right. probably the spot. Anyway.
1: Yeah. Primary comes and uh, David Perdue gets absolutely crunched in the primary. It
0: really election. is. It really is an amazing. And let's just, I think what really matters about this result Okay, so it's 50%. Kemp beats Perdue by 50%. The anti-Trump guy or the post-Trump guy, the anti-Trump guy, I mean, the guy who who really pushed back against Trump at the time and now is trying to push past him, beats the pro-Trump guy and Trump's endorsing by 50 basis points. And I think what matters about that is it's not just 50 basis points. It's 50 basis points in a primary. And the whole pro-Trump right. idea is that when you've got primaries and you've got a smaller number of voters... Then you get the full-blown red meat, domineering effect. Orange meat. You whatever. tend to have
1: the most, yeah, the most uh, hardcore members of every party. That's why you know people like Alexandria Ocasio Cortez can basically win, you know, primaries in 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 her area, sort of in almost unopposed. Okay. Yeah, yeah, safe seat because you know she's so <laughs> far to the left. You can't get further to the left unless you're literally a Soviet communist. Um. <laughs> I'm out of the grave. Sorry, it's Brian Kemp. I don't know why I've been calling him
0: George Kemp. Sorry, it's Brian Kemp. I'm really bad with names. I just know, know he's Kemp. Yes. yes, I know uh, David Perdue because he's been a thing. Kemp was just Kemp. Yeah. So, so, so this is been, a great thing. So Perdue got fired, and this is this has been a build-up. It's not the first time we saw the same thing in Virginia last year. The candidates that Trump in Trump is not Trump is not the deciding factor well it, it does Republican. seem to depend
1: on the state yeah so okay oil my party states, nick
0: Jeez, yeah. uh, so some, states,
1: right <laughs> some states uh uh pennsylvania it was quite close but uh trump's candidate there who is dr oz who came to fame on the oprah winfrey show
0: yeah dude the whole television. reason dr oz won was <laughs> not trump it was book bec- it was the same formula it is the trumpian formula of like be a famous tv celebrity be really good at like everyone seeing you tell someone what to do and made them heal, and you're like quite a tough guy. And like, you know. not only won would... 1 by
1: 100 votes, though it was very, very close. Uh, uh, more, more so, so that's debatable. I think the Pennsylvania governor, uh, candidate for the Republicans is very, shall we say, hardcore Trumpy. I think he may even have been at, at the January 6th uh, protest, right? Uh, so he, he won his primary. Um, Ohio. Uh, Trump's-backed candidates did very well. So J.D. Vance, uh,
0: who is... The uh, who, who's the uh, belly yeah. elegy. We talked about him.
1: Yeah, yeah. He he yeah. managed to win his primary. Um, he was actually in sort of third or fourth place in the primary. It was very contested. It was like eight people. Three yeah. of them had 20% of the vote kind of thing, uh, according to the polling. And Trump endorsed him, and he managed to win by, I think it was about 10 points, so sort of fairly decisive victory. I think he got like 34% of the voters, something like that. So, uh, you know, Trump is not, he's not like basically God in the Republican Party, but he, he still maintains, he's probably more influential than any other single Republican politician.
0: Okay, fair to say, but my, the first thing is, if you have two candidates that are more or less the same, and then Trump picks one over the other, is that one going to win? That's the that's the big scary thing because if you've got a situation where like you could be 60 40 ahead of the other candidate, and then just because Trump's likes you, sorry, you could be 40 60 behind. And then just because Trump's likes you, you end up 60 40 ahead. He has such power that even if you really disagree with him, a lot of people are going to end up agreeing with him just to keep the jobs or keep the chances of of keeping their jobs. And and that's a nightmare scenario. And this kind of thing... You've, you've, what you've also seen that is, and, is... And the ca- J.D. Vance, like, I think the examples you've given are examples where you might say those candidates themselves have something to offer that's attractive, um, that's appealing, and they happen to uh, continue to be Trump supporters. And I'm not saying that that's... N- that That's irrelevant or negligible. That's very, very important for the broader sense of calculation. But it does, it is a separate calculation what proportion of the party likes him to so the calculation well, does he have this one of the status where he can. One of the things that has the, happened
1: uh, yeah. is that you've got candidates who normally probably wouldn't do very well who then try to pip themselves um, into prominence by getting a Trump endorsement. And as a result, would, they, they, so there was a, there was, I think, in. Which state was? I think Arizona. Um, It was one of the Western states. I can't remember which one. But (laughs) there was a primary just in that state, right? But one of the Republican candidates paid for advertising in Florida, in the area where Trump's house is, to boost herself, in
0: the hope that he would see it on TV and then endorse it. (laughs) I mean, I like the chutzpah. But... I mean JD Vance G- dude that guy was like the most fam dude he was the most famous uh I think he wrote the most famous Trump apology of 2016 2017 Well sort of but he does also Nationwide. End, uh,
1: the, the, the thesis of the book does basically end up saying yeah you know these places that like kind of back Trump where everyone feels hard done by at the end of the day it's their poor life choices that have led a lot of people into trouble like
0: Well he, he- includes that yeah
1: yeah he wasn't. He wasn't like a sort of. He's like. I wouldn't he's call like like Grim on commentary. Chima.
0: Uh, Chima. <laughs> I know this Friday afternoon thing. Dude, no, he, it's he was, not going well for us. <laughs> Grim. He was Grim on Chima. No, he was. He was. <laughs> anyway, he he. At the very least, you could say like Doctor Oz. He had. Yeah. He he,
1: he explained massive the massive the, name brand the, recognition. The, the And David shift.
0: Perdue, what is? Is a is a is a big politician with a national imprint and massive in Georgia. He's he's not a fly by nighter who's like getting the Trump ticket in the hopes that he's going to, uh, like have a waterborne no, moment no, no, where he comes off the sideline and becomes a hero. He was he was like a the, a pretty yeah. obvious hero who got thumped in a state that that seems to have learned the lesson that it's like. It is dumb and dumber to try and double down on the big steel narrative, et cetera, et cetera. And that's what excites me about it. Okay, what's the next big fire? The next big firing is my favorite firing.
1: <sighs> uh, about, we're going to do Chess, uh, chess Boudin.
0: Yes. Oh, my word. Say that name slowly. <laughs> chess Boudin. Boudin. So this that's, is a- I think that's why we've been getting our consonants and vowels swapped around <laughs> in fabulous spoonerisms all day. It's because Chessa Boudin, C E S A, and then his surname, it just combines like B O U D I N or something. The, something about his name feels very 21st century. You've got the French flavor Chessa, Kessa, Caesar. Sounds like Caesar. There's like a little bit of a hearkening back to the sort of fascist dictator of old. And at the same time, you can't place it culturally or uh, linguistically very easily. And so it's got this it's nice 21st century postmodern eclectic vibe. Chesabuddin. Right. Oh,
1: so he what a, is.
0: Not, what, a, what an Amuz <laughs> Bouche as a name. He, he is sort <laughs> of uh, what you might call,
1: I guess, kind of the aristocracy of, of wokeness. In America, in some ways, right. So his his parents belong to a group called the Weather Underground. I don't know if you've uh, some people know these guys quite well. Some of them, uh, some people of the United states, not, not very familiar. Refresh so the Weather memory. Underground, very radical, left wing, militant organization. uh One of the attacks. One of the reasons why the right was so freaked out by Obama, by the way, is because I think uh he hung out. He either hung out with or was related to someone in the Weather Underground. Anyway. These guys were a legitimate terrorist organization in the 60s. They were part of that sort of 60s terrorist uh, far-left, we're going to rebuild society. Black Panther.
0: This is, this is, that, didn't they think that Black Panther was a bit soft?
1: Kind of, yeah. They, they, they were sort of – were. Um, yeah, so according to their Wikipedia page, their official ideologies were communism, black power, black nationalism, anti-imperialism, and the new left. Uh, they were also allied to the Black Panthers, and the Black Liberation Army. Anyway, these guys—they built bombs right, all over the, the place.
0: The Black Panthers were like only black, and and the and and the Weather Underground was a bit more like you could yeah, Like commie, yeah. you could be any race, but we have after the same right. And um, they
1: took their the name from uh, a Bob Dylan lyric, which was "You don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows." So, <laughs> radical sixties hippie terrorists, hippie
0: commie terrorists, basically. I do quite like. <laughs> I would say that's the best thing about them. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, the name, uh, uh, they started, they really started at the peak of everything they were going to do and they named themselves. And then after that, it wasn't ever even almost as good as it yes. was in the beginning.
1: <laughs> so uh, his parents suggest so for parents were David Gilbert and um, Kathy Boudin, who were part of the Weather Underground when he was very young uh, they went to jail because they were the getaway drivers in a robbery carried out I think by the Black Liberation Army which resulted in the death of two police officers and a security guard and I think one of the police officers may have been the first black police officer in that particular jurisdiction which is darkly ironic in a in a very yeah sad way but anyway yeah that aside uh, so they went to jail he was he was raised by other people who are sort of, I think, associated with the weather underground, but they, you know, he couldn't, uh, but, but, but like kind of not not directly implicated. He grew up in the west coast of America, in I think it was uh, San Francisco area. And he very much seems to have taken on board a lot of his parents' uh, uh, ideology. Um, In the sense that he believes that America is a fundamentally corrupt and unjust place, unjust place, particularly with regards to race, that it treats people of um, different races, well, black people in particular, very badly. Uh, He also, I think, probably understandably, has no real love of the uh, American justice system. He mentioned on the campaign trail um when he was campaigning for district attorney in San Francisco that uh you know whenever he saw his parents he he really knew what it was like to have people you love in jail because he had to go visit them in a in a uh you know maximum security prison anyway uh, on a, on a sort of tangent here <laughs> his mom uh Kathy Boudin <laughs> when she got out of jail um after serving many years she immediately then Uh, was given a tenured position at Columbia
0: University. (laughs) Which is how I got to know about her. Yeah. yeah, Yeah, hanging Hanging out in New York with fancy pants, like campus celebrity professor with this amazing backstory of, I mean, there is something, I will say that there's something about America where you can kind of live anything down.
1: Right,
0: you can be an accomplice to killing a black person in the name of Black Power, while stealing money, and you can just live that down, <laughs> and not yes. and not like to survive in a in a in a community that sees you personally, and it's like okay, you're kind of low status, but you too know how to enjoy the sunset and feed the ducks and take care of the old people. No, no, you you can you can swing high. Okay, so that's America for you. So, this <laughs> with- a strange place, yes. So, so this, <laughs> is
1: his, this is his lineage that he comes from. And these guys, you know, they're they really right. Uh, I think they're, they're really involved in the sort of intellectual movement that in the universities produces eventually um, what we might call modern wokeness. This kind of view that America, in particular, is a corrupt, racist, evil capitalist society that just oppresses people. So he runs for district attorney. He wins in San Francisco, and he runs quite explicitly on. I don't know how really to describe his his uh, chaos. His platform chaos. chaos. <laughs> I was going to say in, in more ancient neutral Greek terms, chaos. But basically, he thinks that you know, enforcing the law too much
0: is. Is a sort of discrimination, you need, racism. You need to get There's the too many guttural. <laughs> you need to get the guttural from the back of your throat. You just <sighs> Right. So uh, he no wins. No police. On this Everybody. You have to explain though. Does he? Does he? Does he run before or after Black Lives Matter takes over the capital of San Francisco?
1: Uh, I can't actually remember. Um it was kind of I think on part of the same yeah it was
0: 2019 so it was a little bit before. So a little bit before. So he runs on the platform of chaos and then he gets what he wants. Yeah, he's elected San Francisco becomes the most sort of yeah so so most controversial like of of lord of, of the all flies the things he does.
1: one of the most controversial things he does is that he lets a lot of people basically if there's someone on parole and there's an option of to whether to release them or not He almost always seems to side with the option of releasing them, uh, which (laughs) has some unfortunate consequences, um, namely that something like 50 percent of people released from jail before trial uh, that 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 he decided to to release are accused of a new crime while free in San Francisco, according to a study that was done during his tenure. Crime goes up by a large amount and let's just say that it causes <laughs> the usually extremely left-wing extremely sort of woke population of san francisco to get a little bit freaked out and so uh this is a this is a city mind you when i think nine percent of the population are Republicans, something like that so it is a very very blue democratic city there are no basically republican political figures a former democratic and, activist and, decides. and can this-
0: i just i would like to underline this by saying in my time in america my favorite city to have visited i yeah, didn't get to live there like i did it's in New a very York. pretty city it's amazing and hanging out there was amazing and it it has been the center of the third industrial revolution um it it really is a very 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 special place and not right. just the nature it has the largest trees in the world and not just the san francisco bridge Really, the, the social dynamic is fantastic. So even though there are no Republicans there, Nicholas, I'm sorry to tell you, it's, <laughs> it's amazing to hang out, but then you do see this sort of strange thing where they elect um, Bowdoin, Boudin, uh, Bedouin. How do you say his name? Chesa Boudin. Boudin. Oh. Yes. Okay, so they elect this guy who's like, we're you know... I, the thing is, the thing about his election, I'm, I'm interrupting you. I do want you to get back to to the important sequence of events here. But the thing about his election is that it is kind of San Francisco's manifestation of the Portlandia idea. Right. So the, this is you, you. hear that this guy's been elected in San Francisco, and you're like, "Well, that makes sense." That makes sense. So, what is Portlandia? Portlandia is like the. The, uh, a, a, another super liberal part of America but not nearly as productive and there you have so much of a, a maternalistic attitude to how society should work that, that 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 it ends up going from like the idea is the government should run everything to sometimes it feels a little bit like the government should run nothing and then you've got the parks and recreation sort of um, uh, TV show which kind of combines the some of the funny Portlandia type characters and some of the sort of mad libertarian type characters who really do want there to be no government. And so you've got local officials being elected on the kind of libertarian ticket of government's the problem. So we're going to vote for this guy to just not do his job. And that's what I was trying to say with house in a way. It feels like his ticket was government is evil in particular. Criminal justice enforcement is evil. So what you need to do is, is elect me so that i will do less than any other prosecutor would do and that's going to mean less evil than anyone else would enforce so the classic libertarian is like let's vote in someone in the environmental agency who is gonna phone it in every day
1: you know the character ron swanson That's, there we go. From Parks and Rec, right. So he's a a guy who's a libertarian. He works in the Parks Department in the show Parks and Rec. And his entire method of dealing with the fact that he works with the government is just to do as little work as possible because he believes that's the best way to do his job, is to do nothing.
0: He really does believe it. And Eric Boudin, I think he really does kind of believe it. Like (laughs) 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 His name is so delicious. I can't, (laughs) I can't, I can't. I can't every time I, I have to mess it up sometimes because the the true name is so amazing. Anyway, it is, it is, it's a, it's a strange idea. And I think it's an idea that sometimes has its place. Um, that the best thing you can do is nothing at all. Slavoj Zizek says it's the most revolutionary thing you can do. And, I think it's great because he's often talking to sort of Marxist teenagers. <laughs> and that's great. Like, just the, the most amazing thing you can do is sit down, think about it. It's great. Anyway, it's not the most amazing thing you can do if you're a prosecutor. Crime goes up. Please carry yeah. on where you were. So, 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 so here's some stats
1: about what happened. Our burglaries went up in San Francisco by something like 46%. Uh, compared to the previous year or uh, you know, within a year of him being elected. This is in December of 2020. Um, Not great. They sent out a survey to 10,000 crime victims, asking them to rank their experience with his office, and they offered raffle prizes for top participation. Um, he kept getting criticized for uh, one of his big platform things was, in America, if you commit a very heinous crime and you're pretty close to being 18, they charge you as an adult. Um, so one of the things he did was there was a 17-year-old who I think was in a gang, who uh, Deshaun Lumpkin was the guy's name. Uh, he was a 17-year-old kid. He shot and killed a six-year-old, which, as you can imagine, oh, it's yeah. just. Uh, and uh, against the sort of normal practice of uh, charging him as an adult, he got tried as a minor and only received seven years in prison. Um, mm-hmm. That was the mm-hmm. thing that really hurt Jezebel uh, reputation. Um, there were a whole bunch of cases where people attacked, uh, often elderly Asian people. There was a couple ones where um, I think a, a black man hit an Asian guy on the head with a pipe. And there was another one where a young, um, uh, a young Hispanic guy called Ramos, uh, Ramos Hernandez um, hit an old Asian guy, uh, beat him up, and Chester Dean decided to release him on or at least put him in the mental health division and say that he was, wasn't going to ch- charge him too strictly, and saying that this was in accordance with the victim's wishes. Um, the victim it was difficult to interview because he only spoke Cantonese, and apparently the victim's family said, this is rubbish. We, he, he didn't want clemency. He wanted, quote, strict punishment. So there were a whole bunch of cases like this where yeah. really people got the feeling that he was not on their side, that he was on the side of criminals. And this is a thing that so, and there's happened. the combination,
0: right? So, you've got the statistics. Yeah. So, that means that more people are being directly affected or know somebody in their circle is being directly affected. And at the same time, they're seeing the. And big then there are the celebrity stories yeah. that. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, so particularly Asian and Hispanic voters, which always complicates the sort of work
0: narratives, were particularly. No, 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 angry. no. no, no, no. <laughs> Don't jump ahead in the narrative. You are foreshadowing here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, so uh, a former Democratic activist uh, managed to get because in California you can recall politicians if you get enough people to sign a petition. Um, so there was one against Gavin Newsom, the governor. What was it last year already? Um, yeah. uh, uh, where he was faced. And Gavin with a Newsom was
0: really unpopular because he'd been court breaking COVID protocols. You know this whole thing with Boris Johnson yeah. having one drink in the balcony. Gavin Newsom was having parties dinner he was having he's having a dinner with the state's health officials <laughs> it's amazing it's 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 by far the most stunning we <laughs> set the agree- rules but we don't yeah. live by them scandal it's that happened in the middle of where like 90 percent of all the tv and movies you ever see are made <laughs> i'm yet to see the mock you version of that it's like yeah that's like like what veep
1: that would go that
0: would be too over the top for veep, even. Yeah, um, yeah. They, they, someone would send back a note to the script writers, guys, <laughs> tone it down, just tone right. it down a little bit. Anyway, uh, but he survives his recall. He survived, so, yeah. There's a lot of reason really to think tough. that
1: you know, know. A, a sort of lefty democratic politician in California has nothing to fear. Well, um, this recall election against Jesse Poutine built up a lot of steam, like I said, particularly amongst Asian and Hispanic voters. Uh, His approval rating was 58% strongly disapprove, 18% somewhat disapprove, and 22% somewhat approve, with 8% strongly approving. This was in May of 2022, so he was really unpopular. And uh, 60% of voters who turned up to the recall election voted for him to be thrown out. Now, This is rare for a number of reasons. One, recall elections often don't work. And two, incumbents, and this is one of the reasons why recall elections often don't uh, work, is that incumbents, it's difficult for them to lose. Just generally speaking, all things being equal. So uh, then you also consider the fact that this is an extremely left-wing city, which... A lot of people, and there were there were people who publicly said, look, we thought that his policies would work because a lot of the arguments he made for why you should be super lenient and criminals is that you're not really addressing the real causes of crime. You're punishing just poor people who are victims of circumstance and that if we tackle the social problems and have a little bit of compassion, we can make our criminal justice system more humane. Well, it turns out that whatever whatever, you know, uh, truth there might be to some of that, what he did didn't work.
0: <laughs> yeah. And it irritates and, people. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and if there's one lesson to be taken away from this, it's that law and order issues will kill you if you are a politician. The one thing that people do expect from their government uh, across the political divides, across every sort of almost every ideological bent, except for those two
0: extremes of right and left that you talked about. Chaos, excepting the chaos people. Yeah, 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 except for the chaos who people who are who are on both right and left. Yeah, right. Uh, does
1: not like disorder. They do not like crime. And if you and if if you give the perception that you're soft on criminals, you're going to get toasted, even in such a left wing city. And so, Jessica Dean was, I think, one of the foremost. Um, members of a thing called the Progressive Prosecutor Project, where basically it was an attempt by sort of quite far-left groups, sort of BLM-ish aligned groups, to get people who shared their view of the criminal justice system elected as prosecutors, and then effectively not enforce the law as much as possible.
0: Slow walk, pull a little libertarian game, like (laughs) hey guys, do we need to govern all that much? Let's govern a little bit less, that'll be much better. Right. Yeah, dude, I think it's a fascinating case. I mean, partly because, yeah, Robert Braithwaite, Crime, Shame, and Reintegration, amazing book, uh, which I've talked about a whole bunch of times. It's really useful to see that that criminal justice involves multiple axes. One of them is the hard law and order side. One of them is the material circumstance side. One of them is the... Um, Ability of social workers to address issues of antisocial behavior before they become crimes. In other words, if you've got good schools, that really is helpful. That whole thing of like, um, I'm going to start a boxing gym to keep the kids off the streets or karate dojo, like the one I went to in Yeovil as a kid. Uh, that's real. That, that is real. Uh, it's one of the components. Uh, it's not a replacement for uh, police that can apply force, uh, nor, is it, nor is it a replacement for the need for a growing economy which requires certain right. policies that allow businesses to actually flourish. And the fourth factor, uh, which uh, is why Breath White is so important to my life, uh, because he was the first guy to say, uh, look, uh, criminology in America and in the English-speaking world and, in fact, uh, in, in much of the world, sort of post-unfortunately uh, Foucault in a way, <clears throat> has, uh, has completely overlooked the role of esteem. Uh, it needs to be shameful in a society to do crime. In order for the rest of the factors to work together uh, in a way that really effectively disincentivizes crime, and if you've got large subcultures that promote criminal activity that have that have gained a kind of tolerance or acceptance in uh, broader society, then you but bug it. Um, and it was out of that insight that the whole idea of the economy of esteem was born. Uh, right. So, so they are onto something that uh, you don't want to be in a world where you are shaming criminals such that they can never reintegrate. You need a three-step process. Uh, And you definitely don't want to be shaming people as criminals based on features that are not in their control and have nothing to do with what they've done. Um, But, but the idea of not shaming criminality or of not having armed police and just leaving it all up to the unarmed uh, side of government, the social care workers and the teachers and, and, and to the hopes that uh, enough economic growth, together with uh, soft touch psychotherapy, is going to get you—it's just—it's just looking at—it's um, just really trying to fight crime with one arm time behind your back. Anyway, so I think that I think you're totally right. I think that, uh, that 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 criminal justice is an issue that cuts across standard political divides. That the lessons being taught here, uh, well. Has it though? For example, because the comeback his... from the Democrat side from, from various <laughs> publications has been, well, this guy's been recalled. It just proves that San Francisco is way too conservative uh, for true social justice. Yes. And it there reminds me, yeah. it's such an amazing response. It's so… Yeah,
1: there was a great article. …of
0: the fact that there are some people who literally are beyond <laughs> learning anything from experience their ideology is so self-contained and complete there ain't no experience that's ever going to surprise them
1: no exactly uh you're you're referring specifically i think to an, an article from new york magazine which said you know if you really think about it there isn't the um uh the black and working class population historical population and um new deal structuring of the city that means that a uh, true progressive candidate can win in San Francisco because it, you know until 1963 it was governed by republicans that's like half of its history so the argument was basically until that
0: before anyone was born that can actually <laughs> yes. remember voting in this recall election there were republicans <laughs> there and there's more white people than non-white people in the city therefore it, it's racist and conservative and Dude, it reminds me, I, I I told this to my fiance, and she was like it, it we had a reminder about the the sort of New York Times op-ed three op-eds I'll come across now. Response to the Amber Heard trial, uh the finding against Heard, Where they're like, Well, that proves that she's right, eh? It <laughs> yes. said the whole society was racist against women or whatever you call it. And then there was a jury, and it's and it found against her. So that just proves they're they're racist against women. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you can't teach someone who's that deep in. And then I was like, but hold on, but maybe it is true. Like I can imagine in the Soviet Union or fascist Germany or like apartheid. Uh, it's it's not that hard to imagine a society in which the very fact that the criminal justice system works a certain way is going to prove injustice. And then she was like. But hold on. Dude, look at those articles. No mention about the facts of the case. And I, Yes. Right? So if you want to say, like, the fact that Steve Biko died in police custody, and then his death was first declared to be the result of a hunger strike, this proves that apartheid's evil. How does it prove it's apartheid's evil? Because there's a material fact. Right. Provided to us, by the way, they by lied. God. There was food in his belly identified by the 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 chief pathologist oxford train fought the nazis in the war on the scene leaked the information to by the way Helen Ziller, published by the way in the rand daily mail by the way they nearly got canceled for that but they fought on what was the key material fact that the government had claimed that he died from hunger strike and the chief forensic pathologist found a very heavy lunch in his belly from like three hours before he died there's a material fact to to hang the whole thing on, right? That's what's absent from this. Like, in 63, there was a Republican government in San Francisco. Something about (laughs) racial demographics proves what they think. That is not a material fact that proves that your outrageous self like, closed-loop logical thing works.
1: Right. One of the completely insane assumptions baked into that is that uh, sort of this kind of approach to wokeness and soft on crime is very popular with minorities, particularly black Americans. Because L- the wow, always wow, you know, black Americans wow. are bullied by the justice system, and a lot of black Americans don't really like the police. But you know what they hate
0: more than the police? <laughs> by a lot. Crying. according to lots and lots of surveys. <laughs> yes, <laughs> dude, That's my favorite. So- the surveys on do you think your your town or your area is underpoliced, policed enough, or needs more police? Jesus. Yes, it's well, in my well, it's think- in my BLM report from. Dude, it is. It's almost like looking at uh, a race map. Like, it, not quite, but it's almost like the more black the area, the more they, the more people are saying, "Please, could you police us more?" Precisely,
1: and it's it's similar for a lot of other sort of, particularly lower income people, um, regardless of race, but also exactly. You know, amongst, so that's why it's not like a race map. It really right.
0: is like a, um, like an income and crime map. Yes. Um uh,
1: unsurprisingly, people who get robbed a lot are the most concerned about crime. Who would have thought? Uh, really? <laughs> but yeah, so so this and is not, just an interesting... and not by
0: the way concerned about crime in the sense that they're concerned the criminals aren't getting enough therapy, enough yes. like foot massages and like hand holding <laughs> through the process. And that's really not to say that that stuff doesn't matter. It's just that it really works much much better if it comes after arrest, conviction, and incarceration then it becomes extremely important to, in my opinion, yeah, do look, a little bit of... Look, some of
1: some of the, the, the sort of um, the criticisms, particularly the libertarian criticisms of uh, police, particularly in the US, but kind of generally, I think there's definitely some merit in there. The problem is that you need a balance. Uh, you need a strong but fair system. You can't have <laughs> sort of just anyone could do what they like and then we'll all sort it out in a group session afterwards Uh, which is unfortunately that sounds like a caricature but you know the defund the police movement which this guy kind of came just before (laughs) uh, they they kind of believe that and what's interesting is that uh, the mayor of san francisco is also quite sort of far left and although she's described as to the right of uh, of Bill De Blasio, of which... Vladimir Lenin himself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. I mean, this is a whole lot. Uh, who I think originally in- endorsed defund the police did not back Joseph in his uh, bid to avoid the recall, which yeah, no, suggests no he looked at the
0: polls and said, mm, "Nah." <laughs> No one who is like just a brazen hypocrite to start with is ever going to publicly change their mind, unless the polling says that that's a fashionable thing to do. Maybe they no. will one day be a craze of falling ones on one's knees, not in front of another race, but in in front of the mirror to say or photograph of oneself yesterday to say, "I bow down before you, for you were you were wrong and wicked, and I am." Innocent and correct because I have changed my mind. <laughs> I advocate changing one's mind. I, I did uh, see one public, person, but, I, I did yeah. see a
1: journalist on Twitter. I can't remember their name, you know, part of the course today, apparently. But <laughs> who Dude, said, if you couldn't remember that name, you'd probably
0: mispronounce <laughs> it. So maybe it's for probably, the base. Yes. <laughs> uh,
1: who said, who said uh, very publicly, look, I backed Chester Dean's election because I thought his policies would work and they didn't. And I think that we should admit that they didn't work and move on with our lives, and not call everyone Ooh. who didn't vote for him a racist. Ooh. <laughs> well, did that person, you should remember his name, actually, or her name. Uh, her name, her name. I, I, but, I, uh... I remember that she had a black and white photo on Twitter, but <laughs> apart from that, I can't remember anything about it. <laughs> Except well... that she was a senior
0: journalist at a publication... And she had a okay. My my, 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 <laughs> my recommendation is that Nick uh finds that person's name and puts it in the in the dude, recommendations I, I,
1: I seriously think I need some omega three oils because <laughs> my brain is not working <laughs> today. I I'm not I'm not I haven't drunk anything. I'm not intoxicated.
0: I'm not. It's, oh, anyway. it's just no, dude, it's been quite a week. Hey? Oh my word. Yeah. I've had yeah. I've had a stunningly tricky week. Anyway. I'm really glad it's Friday. Shall we? Let's move on to recommendations. And move on to recommendations. So, Busasiwe yeah. Mkobane, Bayad. Uh, Boudin, fired. Also, <laughs> whatever, dude, these are awesome. Don't get in the way of my just desserts. I am <laughs> tasting the saffron vanilla ice cream with little pecan kind of honey-crusted croutons in the middle. It's delicious. Okay? Chesa Boudin, Busasiwe um David Perdue fired. Um, who else did we have? Was it just those three? Uh uh, uh Felicia Somner's Felicia Somner's fired. I think it's really nice. Uh people who complain about cancel culture uh have some valid complaints under some disambiguations, but sometimes they really irritate me because in lo- in real no, life you, see, you need to fire is, people. Need a, this is you, you need being
1: out a- a- this is you being a philosopher and being like, well, you see, it depends how we define cancel culture. If we define it as firing anyone ever, then it's not a good thing to oppose. But you know what they mean when they're whinging about cancel culture.
0: It's... Oh, no, did. I don't. <laughs> I, I don't think they know what they mean. And as a derivative <laughs> matter of the fact, I think often <laughs> when people complain about cancel culture, they're like, you, you were mean to someone who's my friend or who I like. Sometimes Okay, no, 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 fair speech. enough, fair enough. There are there are some people who get it a little bit um muddled. sometimes okay? So yesterday on SABC1, can I say my other favorite thing about this week? Go ahead. So there was a professor, so it's like an hour-long session. Dude, they advertised this thing. They were like, hey, do you want to come on the show? And I was very happy that they let me on. And afterwards, by the way, they said, please come back on. We're gonna organize this. Um 1.7 million people watching. That's nice to have like 1.7 million people watch theoretically, while some guy says that you're definitely racist because what, what, because of anything you've done or said, but just because you're white. Like I, I told this anecdote about how talking about like, you know, tertiary institution racism. And I was saying there's definitely racism in tertiary institutions. It's definitely not the biggest issue that you're going to face at tertiary institutions. Um, when it does happen, deal with it with discipline. Um, you know, what can you do? Like report things, never be quiet, but you know, know that when you report things, there's gonna be an investigation, maybe it's not gonna go your way. Check that it's reason responsive, etc. Cetera, etc. Anyway, I say I want to add one of the big issues is that the private school kids are, as far as I can tell, doing really well at university because they're getting a quality education. And I I got the statistic that about half um of private school kids in the top 30 private schools in the country are not white. So I knew like when I visited Hilton's, the last private school that I really visited, m- most of their younger grades in like grade eight, nine, 10 are not white. Uh, and like grade 11 and 12, it's like 50, 50, 55, 45, something like that. That's the most expensive boarding school. Um, but I wasn't sure about the rest is that I like could stand out. Anyway, we got this figure from a study from 2019 uh, and presumably the figures keep climbing. Okay, so I wanted to just say, you know, like, really there is this thing where if you're going to a public school, you know, f- we've got the worst public school system in the world, in, literally in the world on a bang-for-buck basis. 5% of kids starting in grade one are going to finish my trick with a pass in maths. 20% in grade four can read. 80% in grade four cannot read. Uh, that figure, as far as I can tell, has actually been getting worse um, in since 2006, Uh, so, you know, if you can get into university, that's great. You might need a little extra support, maybe reach out to a bursary program, not for the money, but for the mentorship, for the tutorship, for, for, for getting someone to tell you about that delayed, uh, gratification of like, you know, you might not feel it the first couple of weeks that you study an extra hour every day, more than the guy next to you. But after two months, you are going to start feeling it, and it's going to be good. And when you're more confident, by the way, if someone accuses you of racism, you're going to be able to resist it. And and IRR still has a couple of bursaries. Please reach out. One of the countries was the country's biggest bursary program. You know, if we can't help you, we'll find someone who can. And then the host turned back to me and said, it's a very sad thing to disagree with you. Oh, Dude, then I, I, dude, if you want to know what the rest of what You're he said, beat beat for a moment. <laughs> dude, he totally disagreed with me, but I thought, wow, I've gotten to the stage where it's not like a delight to disagree with me and jump on me. It's like s- sad to disagree with me. Anyway, so um that that made me very very delighted, and I I felt like a version of a kind of. A, a barrier that sometimes I feel just just it got fired. It's like a little barrier got fired that I thought was really sweet. <laughs> Uh So <laughs> there's 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 a I don't know kind of a kind of brag. But anyway, I really enjoyed it and 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 I had some reason to to bring it up that wasn't just about uh, bragging about my nice experience. But I can't. <laughs> I'm not going to pretend that I can. I probably will in a minute, but we're running over time, and I have a very important thing to go to. So, yes, uh, let's yes. jump into recommendations. All right. Do you have a
1: recommendation?
0: I do actually. I'll go first this time, if that's okay. Um. So Peter Robinson and Bill Barr, William Barr, have a discussion that uh, was put on YouTube yesterday. Um, Peter Robinson I don't know. He's I've I've had a bit of a kind of an intellectual crush on this guy since 2012, I can remember when he I He does him. all the Hoover him. Institute interviews, doesn't he? Uh, what's his yeah. program called? Uncommon Knowledge. Yeah. Hmm. So he was he was um, one of Ronald Reagan's top speech writers during reagan's presidency and what he helped do as a sort of dude in his 20s or 30s was was he was very well trained and very smart um but he kind of helped just give like a natural language um translation of the big ideas and i think that's a beautiful skill um it requires a a profound understanding of of policy matters as, as well as a profound understanding of ordinary of of human psychology, and uh, and a humility really. Um, anyway, he um, he didn't he didn't tell Reagan's jokes. You know, I think the most some of the most famous moments, um, in terms of Reagan's rhetoric, are are his telling of the Soviet jokes. But uh, some of the most famous moments really yeah Peter Robinson does have a hand in and he's and he's only I think in the last few years actually um, he's written about it before but he I think he wrote a memoir and then he did an interview tour where he sort of talked about these things anyway I, I knew someone in knew a person who told me all about this back in the day and uh, his way of perpetuating this ability to translate from very high intellectual domain of ideas into a sort of street level, we're sitting around the fire, let's talk about what matters in life, thing has been to be at the Hoover Institute and do most of their interviews uh, for a long time, uh, decades. And uh, anyway, this interview is with Bill Barr, who was effectively what we would call the National Prosecuting Authority, the, the Shamila Batoy of America uh, for almost two years under Donald Trump Uh, for the first two years of Trump's presidency. It was Jeff Sessions bashed, bashed by many people as being a Trump suck up. Yeah. So first it was Jeff Sessions and Trump gets rid of sessions because he says, you know, dude, it's just, I've been letting it go and letting it go and letting it go. But you're, you're indulging all kinds of Russiagate ridiculousness uh, and it's getting in the way of me actually doing my job. So I'm going to fire you. And then there was questions about whether, this is just like Watergate wasn't the problem with Nixon firing people that are trying to investigate him. It turns out that there are substantial differences. One of them being that Nixon was actually guilty of knowing about <laughs> the um, uh, hacking of the Democratic National Convention's convention uh, sort of HQ planning center, um, and also guilty of, of of quietly trying to shut it up. Whereas Trump was not guilty of colluding with Russia. Um, so the obstruction of justice thing is very difficult. It's just a whole difficult, different kind of argument. Anyway, because Bill Barr, the biggest thing that he did in a way to irritate the left was when the Robert Mueller report came out against Donald Well, the Robert Mueller report was the report into collusion. Um, and it Which said that... Pretty much exonerated. Um, it said we've Donald got Trump. no evidence that yeah. there's been any collusion. We've investigated for two years. We've had like, hundreds of millions of dollars... Uh, or however much it was, maybe more. Uh, And we can't find anything. But we're not exonerating him either. And Bill Barr preceded before the redacted version went out by saying, look, uh, no evidence of collusion was found against uh, Trump. Literally quoting directly from it. And then Robert Muller was like two days later, he was like, this is terrible. Bill Barr is creating a false impression that we exonerated him. We specifically said we didn't exonerate him. And so then for months the left wing media was like the Mueller report does not exonerate Donald Trump and Bob Barr's argument was like if you understand anything about how a criminal justice system works the only place that you can be exonerated is in a court after you've had a trial then it finds you guilty or not guilty but before that court process you are presumed to be innocent you can't be exonerated you are already exonerated until someone finds enough evidence to take you to court it's literally illegal. Like this is not a. It's like trying to. It's, it's like if a public official tries to. Gabriel, to, to I found no you.
1: evidence that you stole my socks, but I can't exonerate you either.
0: Dude, you can't knight me. You can't benight me. You can't make me <laughs> like the, the 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 ancestor queen. There are just some things legally you can't do. You cannot exonerate me. I'm already exonerated. Anyway, that legal argument fell on. Uh, deaf ears amongst uh, a bunch of experts. Anyway, so the point is, I mean, the pitch for this episode is the first sentence. Uh, This is an interview about Bill Barr's memoir. And by the way, uh, Barr, Barr dropped Trump after the election and before the insurrection. He was just like, Trump is going on and on and on about the election was stolen. Right, because Trump, I Trump
1: asked him to look into the stolen election and yeah. he did look into it and he said, I can't find evidence that this thing was stolen.
0: Yeah, I mean, he and he. by the way, he didn't say that there wasn't like irritating stuff. He was like, there's a whole bunch of things that I, I wish it was different. There's a whole bunch of things that like, next time you'd want to do differently. Rules that were accepted that weren't properly challenged. But once the rules are in place, you've got to stick to the rules. You know, in terms of like vote harvesting, can you have people going around and collecting votes from their homes? How do you deal with the mail in ballots that aren't dated? Whatever. But in terms of actual fraud, actual faking stuff, he's like, there's just, there's just, it's just not passing muster. And by the way, the big news of today is footage of Ivanka Trump saying, you know, when Bill Barr said it, I accepted it. There's no fraud. Daddy's being a dummy. Okay. The last bit I've editorialized uh but the rest essentially yes (laughs) you can see it in her eyeballs she's like i'm he's gonna be dead soon i'm still gonna be alive (laughs) i'm sorry if i'm being rude i just really i'm i'm so irritated by that event anyway uh i i i I think sincerely the point is that he he was the kind of guy that carried credibility inside of the Trump administration and said this is the point where you should stop complaining and just accept a loss. And he was ignored and so he resigned. Um, and so on the on the Trump camp, on the David Perdue camp, Bill Barr is just another sellout to the left. And on the left yeah. side he's just another um Trumpkin, another guy the, who tried to help out uh, already jumped go.
1: off the boat too early, yeah. Or or early earlier than the others.
0: Yeah, well, later than the others. He was like the last rat to jump off, right?
1: Well, (laughs) no, because I think they assume that more will go off the ship in time because the story's
0: not over yet. Okay, yeah, yeah. No, but the the first rat, you know, there are lots of guys quitting from the first year in time. Anyway, but the point is that this interview is just a nice summation of what it is like to be inside the room coming from someone who doesn't have ideological beef with Trump. And I think that makes it interesting. So he's got complaints Hmm. and he's got compliments, um, but they're sort of framed by someone who thinks that it was great that America got a bipartisan turn against China, that it was great that the Abraham Accords happened, that it was great that um, unemployment uh, amongst racial minorities in America hit record low levels, that real-term wages for the working class increased for the first time in a couple of decades, uh, etc. And... I'm not arguing the merits of of who, what, when, and why is really responsible for that. Uh, but for someone who for someone who goes in feeling like that's all okay and that itself doesn't create a reason to try and be nasty and hateful, it it allows a different kind of conversation to one that I've seen in a long time. Maybe it's just that I haven't watched anything to do with american American politics in the last couple of months. But <laughs> I found it extremely calm, cool, collected, insightful. Slightly depressing um, because of the madness on the right and the left. Um, and and just really, really strong recommendation. I, it's the best thing I've seen on YouTube this year.
1: Yeah, America is only allowed to have one insane party at a time. It can't have two insane parties at the same time because then the world is not in a good place. Uh, what am I going to recommend? Uh, I had something here now. I guess... I don't know if this is a, a very strong recommendation in the sense that I'm not recommending something in specifically, but I was doing a little bit of um, reading for my research piece for my weekly This Week in History uh, article, and I was writing very briefly about uh, Indira Gandhi, who was the third prime minister of India. Uh, she was, shall we say, a controversial figure. In Indian politics, she ruled by decree for a bit after declaring a state of emergency, and she ultimately uh, was assassinated by some of her own bodyguards um, after, in 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 retaliation for ordering the Indian army to storm the Sikh uh, holy temple and Amistar at the Golden Temple. There, she's a really interesting character because I think a lot of the problems that kind of, at least from my sort of ideological perspective, that that bedevil India today, I think do have some roots in in her story. I think there are also some lessons for South Africa because one of the great points of her story is that she tries to rule by decree. She declares a state of emergency after battling with the courts. And um, that state of, state of emergency is forced to end because of huge public pressure and the opposition wins the next election. Now, she gets back into power after that, but the point is that India managed to save its democracy in a moment of crisis. And so I think she's sort of a key figure. She was also sort of aligned India with the Soviet bloc and nationalized a whole bunch of industries and stuff. So uh, <laughs> let's just say I'm not a huge fan, but a fascinating character nonetheless, also because she's sort of in some ways the founder of Bangladesh because she helped Bangladesh's independence movement break away from Pakistan, um, which is a very uh, interesting um event in world history anyway so I guess my recommendation is just if you can find anything to read about her on Wikipedia if you have a book about it um, she's a really interesting character and one who left such a mark on Indian politics that India's uh, big uh, opposition party today the INC which was you know her party is still governed by I think some of her kids or her grandkids um, which is quite the legacy in politics, and and if,
0: you, if, if you're looking for uh, places to read about it, start at the Daily Friend with Nicholas Lorimer.
1: <laughs> Look, my piece, is, my piece is very much uh, I, <laughs> I was learning about this recently too. It's not a period of history that I was super familiar with. The first time I ever read about it was when I was reading about the life of India's current Prime Minister, Nendra Modi, um, who got who cut his teeth as a political activist, uh, uh, ferrying banned uh, pamphlets and material between um, safe houses during the state of emergency that were criticizing it. So, I mean, there's yet yet another way that this uh, this, uh, woman was a huge force in the presence of, in in the history of shaping modern India. Um, And and, as India is an increasingly important country, I think it's an important person to read about. Uh, She also, I think, in a lot of ways, one of the things she really tried to do was um, continue her father who was the first prime minister of India's goal of secularizing India moving it away from its sort of religious sectarian currents uh, and <laughs> the continued dominance of the uh, BJP India's current ruling party and the I think it's called the Hindu ideology which is a sort of Hindu nationalist ideology um, suggests I think that ultimately in that respect she definitely failed anyway, a very fascinating historical character Check her out if you don't know much about her. Uh, but I think that that's all that we have for today. Um, I see Gabriel's already preparing to go out and do his many interesting and exciting things. So I think we're going to call it there. I hope that you all have a wonderful time and uh, keep the flag of Liberty flying. Grr, grr.